Uh, as he said, we're going to be in Matthew 13, verses 44 through 50. So if you please open up your Bibles or look it up on your phone and turn to Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 50, and please rise as we show reverence to God's Word. Starting in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, we thank you for your presence here in this place. We thank you for your spirit that you have placed in the hearts of all those who love you, who are called according to your purpose your spirit that serves as a guarantee, a deposit of the eternity that lies before us with you. We thank you also for your son whom you sent to dwell with us, to live the life that we cannot live, to die the death that we deserved, whom you raised as an assurance that the record of sins that stood against us has been paid, that you no longer see us as sinners but as saints, and because of that you have prepared a kingdom where you will rule with love, mercy, truth, and justice. We look forward to that day, and I pray that as we explore what your future kingdom means to our present life, that we may experience a deeper knowledge of who you are, and that we may worship you. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, we made it. 2022, here we are. How quick did that go? It's always, it seems, at this time of the year that everyone starts to be very introspective, to look on themselves, to see what this last year has brought forth, what were the goods, what are the bads, what are ways that they'd like to improve themselves. And it's easy at this time to allow ourselves to become kind of locked in, focused on this world, on how can I make my life better today? How can I have that new year, new me? What is that going to look like? How can I really work and plan for this coming year to make my life here on earth a little bit better? This morning I want to hopefully talk about something greater. Well, I know it's going to be something greater. Because today we're hopefully going to be talking about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, This is something that's been on my heart a lot uh, this past year. Um, For those who don't know, um, on January 8th, uh, my mom passed away. Uh, So at the start of 2021, uh, she passed. And this caused me to wrestle with the idea of what is heaven What does it mean? It's probably a mark of my own immaturity for the fact that I didn't really spend a lot of time meditating on that uh, before my mom passed. But with her passing, it brought it to the forefront of my my mind. Uh, So as my mom was struggling to breathe and approaching her final day on earth, she told us all there, um, it was my father, my sisters, myself, uh, that she was ready. Uh, that she wanted to go be with Jesus. Uh, This forced me to meditate on heaven. What does it mean that my mom is now absent from the body, but is present with the Lord? 
So for the last year, I've been confronted with this topic, this idea, this theological reality in a way that I haven't been. So when I was, asked, when I was given this opportunity to preach, um, and I had this open topic to preach on whatever I wanted to, um, I knew that what I wanted to preach about, what I wanted to, to talk about with you all, is heaven. Um, and then as this year approached, we had the Christmas holiday. It was so good. Um, but again, it was just a struggle. I was com- confronted yet again with the reality that even Christmas with our family, it's not going to be the same. Um, it's not going to be the same for my family, for me. But even amidst that, even as we're going through that Christmas holiday, even as I'm going through that season of mourning that my mom is not there anymore, I was just overwhelmed by great joy that cannot be explained by any human terms. It's in that joy that I get to stand here today, I get to talk to you about the kingdom of heaven. The world, the devil, and even our own flesh It's hell-bent on getting us to fixate off of heaven and to look at this life, to focus on this life. How can I make this life better? How can I make this life more comfortable? How can I have more money? How can I have more power? It doesn't want you to think about the new heavens, the new earth. It doesn't want you to think about heaven, and it doesn't want you to think about eternal torment that's in store for all those who do not believe in the Son. This morning, and hopefully for the rest of our lives, I hope that we may fix our eyes on things that are above, that we may set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Today, I hope to answer the question, what does the reality of heaven mean for all of us on this side of eternity? And we're going to look at that in three parts. We're going to look at the hope of heaven, the response to heaven, and the alternative to heaven. So first off, we have this question of what do I mean even when I say heaven? In this case, I'm primarily talking about the place of future eternal existence of God, God's people, and all of creation. The Bible often refers to this as the new heaven and the new earth. It's what's coming after his final judgment. The part after all that crazy stuff in Revelation happens, what comes next? Christ often refers to this as the kingdom of heaven. And that's what's being referenced here in our passage today in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven. And it starts by looking at this item of great value. It starts with saying, heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field or a pearl of great value. So what is this hope of heaven? What is this hope that we have? Why should we value it so highly? It seems like in our world today, there's a lot of misconceptions about what heaven actually is. So I may want to start with what heaven is not. Heaven's not just earth, but a little better. It's not an endless void of nothingness. It's not some great cosmic energy like the force. It's not an eternally existing cycle of reincarnations that come again and again and again. And it's not some boring place where we're all going to be singing 1780 hymns played by a grand organ. I was talking to a friend, and she mentioned this old Kenny Chesney song, country music fan. I'm not a huge country music fan. But in this song, here's some lyrics. It's called, Everybody Wants to Go Heaven. It says, Everybody wants to go to heaven. Have a mansion high above the clouds. 
Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. Everybody wants to go to heaven. It beats the other place, there ain't no doubt. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but, but nobody wants to go now. This seems to be a pretty consistent attitude that's found in the nominal churches across this nation, across the world. And if this is your attitude today, I hope it won't be by the end of this morning. You see, the ideas that are present in this song about heaven, it's rooted in heaven being dull, being boring, being earth, but without all the good stuff, without all the fun stuff. Church, this couldn't be further from the truth. The hope that we have in heaven is the single greatest gift ever given in the history of existence. Isaiah 25, 6-8 says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, and He will swallow up on the mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Revelation 21, 1-4 echoes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Others have said, heaven is a place where perfect love will rule, where there is perfect rest, where righteousness and justice dwell. Heaven is a place of complete joy, where every tear will be wiped away by God Himself. Where there will be freedom from all sin, from all suffering, where death will not be deferred or deflected, but devoured and defeated. Heaven is also the place that we will be reunited with our loved ones, those who have believed in Jesus. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that because Christ Himself died and rose again, we can have confidence and assurance that those who believe in Christ also will rise again, that we will be united with all those who have fallen asleep. But even greater still, even greater than this place without crying or weeping, in this place with rich food and blessing, in this place where we're reunited with all those who have gone to sleep before us, even greater still than all that, heaven is the place that God Himself will dwell. And Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, it's a great book, old book, but really good. Highly recommend you read it. Uh, there's this character, Prudence, who asks the pilgrim, Christian, why do you desire to go to heaven? What are you looking for? And Christian responds by saying, why there I hope to see him alive that did hang dead on the cross. The greatest part of heaven is not going to be the food. It's not going to be the fellowship. It's not going to be having bodies that won't break or even being able to rule and reign over a new creation as the Lord intended back in Genesis 1. 
the greatest thing about heaven is we will dwell with our king. You see, our king is not like the rulers we have today. I'm sure if you look back at least the last eight years, everyone in this room has been ruled by a president, a governor, a representative, a county official, someone that you disagree with, someone that did not rule justly, someone that did not rule rightly, someone who was not of utmost moral character, someone who was not perfect, someone who lied, who sought their own self-interest. Our king is not like the rulers of today. He does not use people for his own gain, but he gave himself up for his people. He does not lie, but he's faithful and will do all that he promises. He's without corruption or wickedness, but is perfect. Everything that we lack in our rulers today, we will have perfectly in the perfect rule of Christ. Everything that we yearn for, everything that we desire that is currently unfulfilled, we'll have to the fullest in heaven. Does anyone here struggle with loneliness, feeling unloved? You will tangibly feel the love of God in heaven. You will wear the brightest, most brilliant relationship on earth that you could ever imagine is nothing in comparison to the love that you will experience from God himself. Does anyone here feel stretched too thin, needing rest? Looking to you, parents. Someone, anyone here feeling a little, a little tired, a little worn out? In heaven, you'll be welcomed into the rest of God. You'll be able to experience perfect peace. You'll be able to dwell securely in Emmanuel's land. Does anyone here battle a besetting sin? Do you find yourself again struggling with the shame, the guilt of yet again failing the God who sacrificed his life for you? In heaven, sin will be no more. You will be filled with righteousness. There will be no more shame, no more guilt, only perfect obedience. Is anyone here experiencing sickness, hardship, sadness, mourning loss? It's in heaven that there is comfort, that there is healing, relief, and fullness of joy where death is swallowed up and will be no more. This is the hope that we have in heaven, that we will have resurrected bodies that will not break or decay, that we will eat and drink with all the saints, and that we dwell in the perfect land with our God, worshiping him perfectly as we rule and reign over creation just as it was intended. This is the hope that we have in heaven. So how should we respond to this treasure? Going back to our passage in Matthew 13, we see the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So what is the response to heaven? When you find a treasure or this poor pearl of great value, you buy it. Whatever the cost, whatever the sacrifice, when presented with the beauty of heaven, the only response is, I have to have it. 
we notice it's in joy. It's not obligation. It's not duty. It's not with reluctance. But in joy, the man sells all that he owns to buy this treasure. How can that be joy? It's only joy if you're confident that what you are giving up fails in all comparison to what you are receiving. It's only when you're confident and certain that your treasure that you have found is worth far more than any of the possessions you may currently own. In Luke 9, 23-25, Jesus said, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Jesus tells us why it's worth everything. Our time on earth, average, looked it up this morning, or last night technically, 78.79 years. What would it be worth to be the richest, greatest man or woman in the world for that 78.79 years? Would it be worth your eternity forever? In Ecclesiastes, we see Solomon talks about how he's the smartest, the richest, the wealthiest man in all the world at the time. Any uh, possession, any comfort, any satisfaction that he would fix his eyes on, he could have it. And he lived his life that way. Anything he wanted, he had. He received. At the end of all that, he says he looked at all of his toil, at all that he had, and found it all vanity, a striving after the wind. Solomon tested every pleasure available and found that what Christ said in Luke 9 is the reality. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Nothing. What is the response to heaven? It's to recognize that chasing after the pleasures of this life will amount to nothing. This life will not and cannot satisfy you because God has placed in each and every one of us a greater desire. God has placed eternity in all of our hearts that we are meant to spend eternity worshiping and praising this God. That's what you're created for. And everything below, everything on this side of heaven, it's striving to distract you from this reality. It's trying to distract you from the fact that you were made to worship God and anything else, anything less than that, will be hell. 1 John 2, 15-17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away. The desires, the joys, the pleasures, they won't last. However, God has offered to every man, every woman, a treasure buried in a field, a pearl of great value. And the only response to this treasure is to sell all that you are, to sell all that you have, and chase after this treasure. It causes us to no longer live for ourselves, but for Him who for our sake died. We live to worship God in all 
that we do to work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that it's from the Lord we receive the inheritance as your reward. We are serving the Lord Christ. We live to accomplish His goals, His mission, the mission given to us by our King to go to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The hope of heaven provokes a response to live differently. We know that this life, earth, is not the primary end of our lives. We are eternal beings. And as eternal beings, more important than accumulating wealth, than accumulating power, than accumulating comforts or pleasure, is that we get to serve and worship our Savior. And the wonderful thing is that by doing that, Scripture says that we can store up for ourselves treasure in heaven. Matthew 6, 19-24 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where the thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where neither thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, this last week, uh, there is a big fire in Boulder. I've always wondered what would it look like if a wildfire got into one of our towns and started ripping through a town. Um, and unfortunately, we saw that uh, this week. Uh, there's people that lost everything. All of their worldly possessions, all of their pictures, all of their heirlooms, everything they've ever received, all of their possessions, their homes, their vehicles. They lost it all in a matter of minutes. We are called not to store up for ourselves treasure on this earth because just like that fire, it can all be gone in an instant in the blink of an eye. The Lord can require our lives from us at any moment. And what good would it be, the wealth, the power, the status that you've achieved when you're gone? I'm not sure what the treasures in heaven are going to look at, look like, but verse after verse, we see the promise from God through His Spirit and the biblical authors, through Christ Himself, promising that there will be a reward. That anything you lose, anything you suffer, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven will be rewarded. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know a couple things. One, that our God is not a stingy God. He's someone who's made this entire universe. Think this whole universe that he knew would pass away, but he made it anyways. Places that we can't even fathom, that we'll never even begin to explore, he created just because he enjoys creating and giving us good, beautiful things. Our God who gave up His own Son for us, any reward that He has in store will be wonderful, far greater than anything we can have on this earth that can be gone in an instant. Our response to heaven then causes us to live differently. We realize that the only people who will actually experience loss are not those who give up something for heaven. Everything you give up, everything you suffer for the sake of the kingdom will be deposits in the kingdom of heaven. The only people who are suffering loss are those who do not know the Savior, who when they die, all the works of their hands, everything they've tried to accumulate on this earth will be burnt up, unable to save them. So what does that mean for our lives? It means at work, when someone takes credit for your idea, 
You can trust that any loss will be compensated in heaven. In relationships, when others speak wrongly about you or slander you, you can rejoice because your reward is great in heaven because you serve a Father who knows the truth and who dwells in heaven. When your neighbor always seems to have more than you and you're faced with a choice between supporting missions overseas or buying that new entertainment center that'd be really cool, you know that whatever has the greatest eternal significance will always be worth it. Or when your friend is skeptical of all that Christian nonsense and you have to choose between staying silent or sharing the gospel with them, that you may risk losing that friendship, you consider the reality of heaven and you can share the gospel. There is a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost to heaven, but the cost is nothing in comparison to the glory that will be revealed to us. Our hope in heaven allows us to do things that others can't. It allows us to respond in faithfulness to the Lord. It allows us in joy to give up whatever it takes, to use whatever it takes to see God's kingdom come and His will be done. Because His kingdom will always result in good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. However, there is an alternative to heaven. And that one doesn't lead to human flourishing or good. So to get to our last point, we go back to Matthew 13, 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The reality is heaven that everyone is eternal. Everyone. But heaven is only for some. Only for the righteous. Hell is for the evil. For the unrighteous. And this topic of hell it can be tough. Hard to meditate on but ultimately, I believe this too will bring us to worship. In Revelation 20, it talks about a great white throne where all of these books will be brought out, recording everything that we've ever done, said, thought, all the motives and thoughts of our hearts, the attitudes and the secret places. And it says that we will be standing accused by these things. And the judge of the universe will judge all things. Recently, I had a minor mishap with traffic rules. Um, see, I'm get going light now because we're in something real heavy, so start a little bit lighter. Um, so I had this incident with traffic rules where I believed I was in the right. I believed I did not break the law. I thought I was obeying all the rules. So I went to traffic court, um, and that's a fun thing, traffic court. Uh, it's pretty trivial. I mean, the worst I think that can happen is I have to pay like a $200 fine. It's not great, but my life isn't on the line. But there's something about that room. When you get into the court, and you're sitting there, and the judge calls your name, and you have to approach, and you sit there, and they tell you all that you've done wrong, 
And then you sit in this trial where you try to state your case, plea your innocence, but at the end of the day, there's still a judge or a jury that's sitting over you ready to render a verdict. And even though this was just traffic court, it kind of hit me a little bit. I was like, oh my gosh. This person has the weight of Weld County, the state of Colorado, and the United States government, and they can dictate to me what I did, was it wrong or right, and they can choose to punish me as the law allows. And it caused me to just stop a little bit and just kind of be aware of, I am in a courtroom where there are consequences. Actions have consequences here. I have another friend who's in a trial as well. His is in for much higher stakes. His life truly is on the line. And what the jury decides will impact his life. When he enters into the courtroom, I've gotten to uh, see a little bit of it to see some of the beginnings of the trial. And he enters the courtroom and you could just see the seriousness, the severity. He knows that what is about to happen will have a significance for the rest of his life. It's serious. It's weighty. You feel it. In both of these cases, we are trying to plead our innocence. We believe that we are not guilty. And we're standing in this courtroom trying to prove our innocence. On that final day of judgment, however, we're going to be called before the throne and the crimes that we have committed against the creator of the universe are going to be brought out. And we will know deep in our bones that we are guilty. That all the things they're saying about us are true. That we've rebelled against the king. He set rules. We did not follow them. We did not worship him. We did not love him. We wanted to be God in our own lives. We did the things that we're being accused of. Heaven is for the righteous. Unfortunately for us, no one is righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Only the righteous can enter the kingdom of heaven, and we are not righteous. However, praise be to God that Jesus came and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the only way we get into heaven. Our response is not what gets us into heaven. It's a response. It's a response that we've been given heaven. The only way we get to heaven is through righteousness that is not our own. It's through belief and trust in a Savior who is good, who came and died for our sake. So do you feel your own unworthiness of heaven? Do you recognize that you deserve hell? Welcome to the group. We're all unworthy. Church, this is why we sing. This is why we worship. This is why we respond willing to give up everything for the sake of being with our Savior, with our God. 
we know that because our Savior lived, because He died and rose again, that by believing in Him, we too might be found righteous. He wanted us to be righteous so that we may dwell with Him forever. God wanted us to be righteous so much. He knew that we were unrighteous. He knew we weren't going to make it. That we were dead in our sins. But He sent His own Son to come and pay the penalty for us so that we might become righteous. Not just to leave us as, oh, well, now you're righteous. But because He wanted to dwell with us. He wanted us to be with Him forever. If this is not you, if you've not repented and believed, today could be the day of salvation. Like all of us, you stand accused. Accused of rebelling against the Creator of the world. And the wage of that is death. Not just a human death, but an eternal separation from God forever. It's only in Christ that we have a shelter. It's only in dipping your robe in the blood of the Lamb that you can be washed clean. And you do that by repenting of your sin. You don't have to hide it, but you acknowledge it. You acknowledge to God, I am a sinner. I deserve hell. But then you trust and believe that what Christ did when He came and He died for your sins, that He paid the penalty on your behalf, and that you too may be found righteous. Again, I'm reminded of Christian's response in Pilgrim's Progress. Why do you desire to go to heaven? Why, there I hope to see Him alive that did hang on the cross. Christ didn't hang on the cross because he had his own sin that he needed to pay. He hung on the cross for you and for me. He bore the wrath of God so that all those who believe in him may have eternal life. I pray that you believe in him today. Don't go where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm not going to sugarcoat and try to say, well, it's not that bad. It's, it's the worst. There is no torment humans can devise that will be worse than what stands for those who do not accept the Son. But I pray today is a day of your salvation where you are welcomed to the, by the King. Come, enter my rest. Come, enter my paradise. Dwell with me forever. There's a great hope in heaven. A hope that we will live forever with our King, worshiping Him in all that we do that will dwell forever with God as He intended, that will be ruling and reigning over a new creation without sin, without sorrow. And any sacrifice you make on this side of eternity will be worth it. It will be far worth the reward that we will receive that is great in heaven. Ask a few people this week, how does the reality of heaven influence our lives today? Um, I received one response that caused me to pause and meditate and worship. It was from our intern who is no longer with us now. He is officially a Windsor community guy, uh, Mr. Chad Thomas Barlow. So I asked, how does the reality of heaven impact our lives? He responded, it causes us to live a life that is completely captivated and mastered by the reality of God. Where the main thing you think about every day is God 
and His glory when the main motives of your heart are to worship Him and draw other people into true and spiritual worship of Him. It's a life of repentance and obedience being led by the Spirit. Church, I hope we meditate on heaven this year. That we don't get distracted by the joys, pleasures, or sorrows of this life. But that we may recognize that we have in store for us a joy beyond all comparison, that we get to dwell with God who's at right hand are pleasures forevermore. May we be captivated by this God. May we meditate on this reality all the days of our life. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your creation. Thank you that you came, that you made a universe greater than we could ever imagine or just dream up, but you've created something so great and glorious that the skies proclaim your handiwork. Um, Lord, we thank you that you sent your Son. That though we stand accused, that though we know we failed you, you stand ready to offer pardon. I'm ready to enter us into your rest and into your kingdom. Thank you for that eternity that you have prepared for us. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to die that we may be in that eternity with you. I pray that we're able to meditate on this. Help us to be controlled by this. Help us to be ready to make any sacrifice necessary, ready to give anything and everything so that your kingdom may come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.